Let's bow for a word of prayer before we read 1 Corinthians 15. Our Father in heaven, help us to understand your word. Help us to understand the great doctrines which are contained within your word. And help us to understand this one, which teaches us what our present condition is and why it is this way. We have fallen into sin in Adam. Give us understanding, O Lord. May our understanding of our present condition be strengthened also. May our understanding of the gospel be strengthened. For in Christ we have His righteousness and the hope of life everlasting. In His name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 12-25 is our scripture reading. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Evidently there were doctrinal problems in the early church too that had to be contended with. Paul continues, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May He add His blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. You know, we have learned many things about the original condition of man. God made man, male and female, in His own image, and knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. We have also learned that God made a covenant with man. It was a covenant of works wherein eternal life was offered to Adam if he obeyed, death being threatened upon disobedience. We have also learned that Adam and Eve broke the covenant by sinning against God, sin being any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. This sin plunged Adam and Eve into ruin. They fell from a state of innocence and into a state of sin and death. We've learned about all of this with the help of previous catechism questions and answers. But a very important question remains, and it's a question that Pastor Phil asked uh, this morning, what does all of that have to do with us? What does all of that have to do with us? How does the sin of our first parents impact those of us who live so many thousands of years later? That really is the question that Baptist Catechism 19 is seeking to answer. Yes, we know that Adam and Eve fell into sin, but how does that impact those of us who came after them. Again the question, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? The short answer is yes. Uh, children, I don't know if you're going to get away with that though. 
uh, when your parents have you memorize this question and answer. You'll, you'll need to give the longer answer, I think. And again, the answer is this, the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generations sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. There are a lot of big words in that answer. I think it is important for us to learn big words and what they mean. So go for it, kids. I hope that you memorize this in the coming week. The answer to question 19 begins with the words, the covenant. The covenant. This reminds us of what we learned back in Baptist Catechism 15. There we learned about the special way in which God governed Adam after He created him. When God had created man, He entered into a covenant of life with him upon the condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon pain of death. That was Baptist Catechism 15. So there we learned about this covenant of life. And here in question and answer 19, we are told about the covenant. We're reminded of that covenant. In particular, we are taught about the covenant that God made with Adam, and that it was not only for himself, but for his posterity too. That is such an important principle. Did God enter into a covenant with Adam after he created him? Yes. Did God threaten Adam that if he were to break this covenant, he would fall into sin and death? Yes. Did he promise life to Adam upon the condition of keeping this covenant? Yes. But here something is clarified for us. This covenant was not just between God and Adam. There were more parties involved. This covenant was made with Adam and with all of Adam's posterity. That word means descendants or future generations. In other words, Adam functioned as a representative for others in the covenant that God made with him. Adam did not stand before God merely as an individual. He stood before God in this covenant as a representative for others. So the eternal life that was promised to Adam upon obedience would not only be for him, but for all who would descend from him. Think of that. If Adam would have passed this testing time, if he would have kept the terms of the covenant, Adam would have been transferred into life eternal. Adam would have been transferred into glory, but not Adam only. Who else? All who descended from Him. The whole human race. And also, when Adam sinned, when he broke the covenant, it was not just Adam who sinned as an individual before God, but in Adam, the whole of humanity was plunged into sin and ruin as well. Adam functioned in that covenant, the covenant of life. Sometimes we call it the covenant of work. Sometimes we call it the Adamic covenant. He functioned in that covenant, not as a mere individual, but as a representative for others. That is such an important thing to understand. He represented the whole of humanity in that covenant. Perhaps you've heard it put this way. Adam was our federal head. I don't know if you've ever heard that terminology Adam was our federal head. Federalism has to do with representation. Adam represented humanity. If Adam would have succeeded, all humanity would have succeeded in him. When Adam sinned and fell from the state of innocence and into the state of sin and death, all humanity fell in him, for he was our head. He was our representative. 
The Scriptures clearly teach this. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. All sinned in Adam. Do we ourselves sin individually? Yes, we do. But we are born into this world sinners. We're born into this world fallen, depraved, whatever terminology you wish to use, because of the one man's sin. All sinned in Adam. You say, well, I wasn't there when Adam sinned. Yes, you were. You were, not physically there. But you were there by the principle of representation. Adam was there on your behalf, you see. Romans 5.12 teaches this. So too does 1 Corinthians 15, which we read earlier. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, that word in is very important, by the way. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Here Paul mentions another federal head namely Christ. We'll return to this in a moment. For now, see that there are only two federal heads, Adam and Christ. We are either in Adam, under His representation, or we are in Christ, under His representation. There are only two federal heads. The Genesis narrative also presents Adam as a federal head or representative Paul says it in a teaching way. He teaches us that Adam is our federal head and that Christ is a federal head. But the Genesis narrative presents Adam as a federal head or representative. Notice that when Adam sinned, both he and Eve were cursed, and they were banished from the garden and from the tree of life. But when they had children, where were their children born? Not in Eden. Not with access to the tree of life. They were born outside of it. The tree of life, the way to it was shut off for Adam and for Eve, our first parents. But it was also shut off for their children. They were not given access to the tree of life, but were barred from it from birth. They were born in a state of sin and death, and they themselves did sin. In other words, what Paul says in a didactic way, Genesis says in a narrative way, Adam represented the whole human race. When Adam broke the covenant of life, he broke it not only for himself, but for all who would descend from him. The story of Genesis is about that. This is why our catechism says what it says. The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity. Now we continue. All mankind, descending from him by ordinary generations, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. This principle of representation might sound strange to you, especially if this is the first time you're hearing about it. But in reality, it is very, it's a very common thing. The choices of others affect you all the time. Have you ever thought about that? The choices of others affect you all the time. Think of the way that the choices of your parents have determined who and what you are today. Think of how the choices of kings and presidents affect a nation and have throughout the history of the world. Think of how the choices of a husband affect the wife. On and on I could go. The principle of representation is really baked into the natural order of things, even sometimes in vague ways, sometimes very directly. Our form of government here in the United States of America has this principle baked into it, right? Uh, this is a representative 
representative form of government that we are a part of. In fact, this principle of representation is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ falls to pieces without this principle of representation. Please hear me. Without this doctrine of representation, Christ would be of no benefit to you. Did you hear that? Without this doctrine or principle of representation, Christ would be of no benefit to you. How is it that Christ's death benefits you? Christ died as an individual, did He not? What does that have to do with you? Answer, He died not just as an individual, but as your representative. That is to say, as your substitute, if you have faith in Him. And how is it that Christ's resurrection benefits you? Who raised from the dead on the third day? Christ did. Good for Him, some may say. That's really good for Him. What does that have to do with you and with me? How does that benefit us? Again, He rose from the dead, not for Himself only, but as our representative. Uh, The Scriptures refer to Him as a first fruits. In other words, He's the first of a kind. Others will come later who are somehow connected to Him and benefit from His raising from the dead. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, His ascension to the Father's right hand, and His inheritance, all of these things benefit those who have faith in Christ because Christ lived and died and rose again as our representative, our federal head. This is true for everything that is ours in Christ Jesus. His reward is our reward for he is our federal head or representative. Uh, just a moment ago I read from 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul compares and contrasts Adam and Christ. Does that seem like a weird comparison to you? When you think of Adam, you think of that, that's the guy who made a choice and brought all sorts of sin and misery into the world. What does he have to do with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, there are many differences, of course. Through Adam all die in Christ, all who are united to him as federal head will live. So they are very different, but they share this in common. They are both federal heads. They both lived on behalf of others so that their success would mean success for others and their failure would mean failure for others. Indeed, Christ, who is sometimes called the second Adam, he even died and rose for others, as I have just said. So how does someone come to be a federal head? in this biblical, spiritual, and eternal sense. How does someone come to be a federal head? Uh, Did Adam decide to be a federal head? Did Christ decide to be a federal head? We, We say no. Men, they cannot take it upon themselves to represent others. But God appoints men to this. He appointed Adam to be a federal head. He appointed Christ to be a federal head. He appointed Adam to be a federal head in the covenant of life or the covenant of works, or the Adamic covenant. He, he does this in covenants. He, he appointed Adam to be the federal head in the Adamic covenant. And it was in the covenant of redemption that God appointed Christ to be the federal head of the covenant of grace. So men do not take this role upon themselves, but they are appointed to it. In the covenant of redemption made with the Son in eternity, 
The Father appointed the Son to become incarnate, to live, to die, and to rise again in victory in order to redeem those sons of Adam so as to bring them to the Father by His grace. Christ was appointed as our federal head. Can you see why I have said that this principle of representation is crucial to the gospel of Jesus Christ? If He is not your representative, He did not live for you, die for you, and rise for you, then all that He would All that he did would not benefit you in the least, you see. It would have been something that he accomplished for himself, but it would not have been for you. But thanks be to God, Christ did function as our representative. He is the second Adam, the federal head of the covenant of grace. And this is why Paul stresses that we must be found in him. Remember a moment ago I said that little tiny word, in, is so very important. We must be found in Christ. What does Paul mean when he says that we must be found in Christ? He means that we must be united to Him by faith in the covenant of grace. We are born in Adam, brothers and sisters. All who are born into this world have Adam as their head. And in Adam we inherit sin and the curses of the covenant which He broke. We must be reborn in Christ. This new birth is not natural birth, but spiritual. It comes through the preaching of the Word of God and by the working of the Holy Spirit. And I'll let Paul tell you about the benefits that come to us through union with Christ and the covenant of grace of which He is mediator and head. Listen to Ephesians 1, 3 and following. There in that passage, Paul blesses God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. I think that's one of my favorite Bible passages. The whole passage, though, is built upon this principle of representation. We come to have all of these blessings that are mentioned here by Paul the Apostle. Only through faith in Christ we must have Him as our federal head. In Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive, 1 Corinthians 15.22. And so let us be sure to be found in Christ, united to Him by faith. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? That is our question. And the answer is this. The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind, descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. This explains our current condition, brothers and sisters. But also, this explains why the gospel of Jesus Christ is what it is, why it works. God has provided 
another head, another representative, a mediator, a savior, to redeem us from the curse which Adam brought into this world through his disobedience. Let us bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of the word of God. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would increase our understanding of the gospel, that we would grow to love it more and more, to appreciate it more and more. May our love for you increase as our knowledge of you and of the Christ that you sent increases as well. So bless young and old in this congregation with a greater depth of understanding of the richness that is ours in Christ Jesus. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Strengthen us so that we might serve you faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.